Hello and welcome to the Skewer Podcast. The Skewer is a live monthly news review satirizing the month that was with hilarious op-eds and debate. This is our third anniversary show and was recorded at Cafe Mustache on November 7th, 2018. Do enjoy. Yes, usually people stop way too abruptly, but that one actually was good. Thank you, and welcome to The Skewer. If you are not aware what The Skewer is, we are a monthly live news review satirizing the month, the news of the month that has just occurred through hilarious op-ed and debate. And if you're like, Tom, why did you mess up that intro? Are you new? No, it's our third anniversary show. Yay! Oh, I am your host for the evening, Tom Harrison. I'm glad that you were all able to make it. How's that seasonal affective disorder hitting y'all? Real hard? Yeah? Well, it is me. <laughs> So I have, before we get into the uh, meat of the show, I'm going to open with a little uh, overview of the month that has just happened. Full disclosure, I write these openers the weekend before the show. Normally, having like three or four days of lag time between writing and presenting is not a big deal. (laughs) I want present me to make it as clear as possible to you that past me is really struggling to strike a tone, considering this show is, as you know, the day after the midterm elections, the possible outcomes of which are very different. (laughs) Do I write this assuming that the Republicans retain full control and the seal trapping the Koch brothers in their tomb finally shatters? and they ride freed on their skeletal horses across the night sky, cackling an eternal victory as they reap the blood of the innocent? Hard to fucking say. Turns out, as present me knows, things went pretty okay. The Democrats took control of the House. Kansas, Maine, and Wisconsin got Democratic governors. And the incompetent racist Judge Coughlin did not retain his seat in Cook County. It's not all ideal, of course, and with today's attorney general shakeup, I don't know if it'll stay okay for long. But one thing I do know is that I did my bare minimum. On October, t- yeah. On October 27th, I voted. I went to my early polling place with a little printout of my ballot with all of my choices, and I was in and out in 20 minutes. I didn't love the experience. I did have to vote for J.B. Pritzker, a man too rich to be wearing that fucking vest. (laughs) But I did it. There are a lot of things to like about voting. In Chicago, at least, it's easy. Uh, It's fast. It's one of the few ways to hurt Republicans. But man, there's one fucking thing I don't like about it. It's how no matter how diligently I do it, celebs constantly lecture and criticize me for not doing it. (laughs) I voted, 
And I still had to endure two weeks of Billy Eichner yelling at me for not voting and pundits telling me not to get distracted by far-right genocidal action. And that's the shit that really kills me. The idea that stuff like revoking birthright citizenship or actual pogroms or sending troops to the border who will for sure execute the caravan are distractions. Like, bitch, from what? Even if I hadn't already voted, it is not as though it's a process that consumes the full computational power of your brain for an entire uninterrupted month. Like, what's even going to happen if I somehow succeed at not getting distracted? What's the goal that awaits me if I maintain my genius wisdom level and sidestep all the distractions perfectly like I'm Neo in the Matrix? Am I going to be sitting on top of a mountain in a yoga pose when I finally empty my thoughts and lift from the ground, floating in a pure state of mind without mind? And in my sheer state of absolute focus, I will finally realize the ultimate truth they've been trying to keep me from uncovering. If Kirby eats so much, how come he never shitted and farted? <laughs> yeah, thank God I didn't get distracted. <laughs> Under a fascist regime, everything is a distraction because the whole fucking thing is a campaign of random irrational evil that just carpet bombs human dignity without any strategy other than fuck you. It doesn't matter if it's a stunt that Trump is sending troops to the border. It doesn't matter if he technically can't end birthright citizenship. I technically can't spend 40 minutes just sitting in the stall in my work bathroom, pants up, not using the toilet, just reclaiming my life. <laughs> but I do it anyway. Voting is essential, as you know, but it is the bare minimum, like I say. Another reason I get pissed when people who think Susan Sarandon is worse than Trump harangue me about it. So I'm not going to ask you all if you did. I assume you know your duty and did it. I'm not going to hector you about stuff you already know. And the skewer, if you weren't aware, turns three years old today. I did say it before, but then it's written again. You get it. <laughs> We started this show when Obama was still president. I was barely cognizant of what a politic was. I thought Obama was a rad righteous dude. And when I would look at his presidency, I would go, okay, this is epic. Unlike now, unlike now, where I grow furious with him for squandering eight years of power, murdering children with robots, and trying to compromise with vampires. <laughs> And as I've aged, I've often wondered what the skewer does, what it's all for. Satire is very tough in a world that no longer bothers to hide the subtext. <laughs> I've often feared that this show is nothing but a venue for us to stand up here and lecture people who already agree with us. And as I've made clear, I do not like that. But I don't think this is that. Maybe I'm biased, uh, probably, almost certainly. But even in the quite likely event that the skewer has never changed a mind, I think there is still some value in just being able to shriek against an evil world. Like, 
Fox News is an openly genocidal propaganda outlet that is embedded into all levels of American life, and it is almost impossible to opt out of receiving its message. The GOP is brutally suppressing voters without even the courtesy of a cover story, just openly cheating. And as far as past me knows, it worked. Present me knows that Brian Kemp like, might still win, so I mean, maybe it does work. It's easy to feel defeated and alone, like you're the weirdo for caring about people, like you're the asshole for hating turfs and caring about what happens to refugees. But we aren't. We are not, and we never will be. Even if they win today, or yesterday, I guess. I hope they didn't. They kind of didn't. <laughs> but there will always be places like the skewer. Even if they're small and silly, there's something. And I'm proud to do a little bit more than the bare minimum. Thank you. Oh, we got a show for you. Oh, we got some fine writers who are going to deliver good things for you to hear. But before we get to the op-ed portion of the evening, I think it's time for a fun, interactive game where you test your skills and knowledge and possibly win prizes. Kevin Johnson, host of our, our news game, please come to the stage. Hi, Tom. Kevin, what's our news game? Uh, it's, it's basically two truths and a lie. With the goddamn headlines. You tell people three headlines, one of them's a fake? That is, that is true. Yes. Gosh. Well, I'll leave you to it. All right, cool. <laughs> Thanks for that, I, I guess. <laughs> anyway, come up and you can get a sticker. And, and I know you're just going to be in the fucking audience being like, what? You, you may. Yeah. Who are you? My name is Erica. What do you do? I'm pregnant. That's, that's a lot of what I do. Is, is that just like on your LinkedIn, I'm pregnant? It should be, honestly. Well, fuck, I don't know. Well, yeah, Erica is, is the other person that's like Tom that does the show. So if you like the show, then you, maybe you like Erica. Maybe. I don't know. All that I care about is that Kevin likes me. <laughs> we'll we'll start the it. game. We're working on it. We'll get there. Let's we'll start the game. Anyway, your first set is about ghosts. Um, <laughs> Tom is very scared of ghosts. <laughs> they are spoopy. Oh, okay, story one. Man says... Ghost planted meth on his nightstand and attacked him with an axe, despite no visible wounds. <laughs> Story two. The EPA shuts down a regional ghost entrapment business. Story three. Pro-Trump... <laughs> this, is, this is like a little tongue twister. Pro-Trump pimp wins Nevada election weeks after he died. Okay, the pimp one is... Ooh. The pimp one is a, is a real thing. Okay. I don't remember if he won or lost. Ooh. The EPA, I think, does nothing right now. <laughs> and then the meth one sounds pretty real. Well, I do want to say that the EPA only does evil shit. So protecting us from ghosts and destroying that would be evil. 
I don't think anyone's working there. Like, I think it's just an empty office. It is, it is ghost itself. So, um, okay. So I'm going to go with the pimp where it's mostly true, but you did that one little tweak. What's the, the little lie. tweak? I don't know what the little tweak there is. There is no tweak. That's why. <laughs> okay, so this is the only time I've ever done this. Okay, so B is the fake one. Ah. Yeah, because it's ghost. Okay, so I literally like took that from the onion and changed one word. It's the only time I've ever done it, and it tricked two people so far, which is like insane to me. Because the other person was actually reading this that says it came from the onion. Whatever. Anyway, okay, set two. Okay, first story. Amy Winehouse, uh, the her hologram will start touring 2019. That one also could have gone under the ghost heading, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Story two. 50 Cent says he bought 200 front row tickets to a Jaw Rule concert just so they'd be empty. <laughs> <laughs> Story three. A bus driver in India was suspended for incessantly playing the wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round, Arrested. round and round. No, he was Suspended. Suspended. Yes. Uh, the the Amy Winehouse sounds true. Uh, it just it'd be like a classic Kevin move that it's not Amy Winehouse. It's uh, actually somebody else who died. <laughs> Aretha Franklin. Wow. Like, oh, Too okay. soon. Um. No, that would be that would be really fucking weird though. To have like, Aretha Franklin tour yeah. now as a hologram? <laughs> yeah. It's like that's that's really too yeah, soon. Yeah, that is it is too soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. like Queen as that would be better. Um Uh like but the it queen sounds of pretty England? true. Sorry? The Queen of England touring? Well I meant uh She's Queen, I meant yeah. Freddie Mercury okay. as a tie in oh, oh, with the oh, movie. Okay. Uh, this is a lot of chatter. Stay, what's your question? Stay what's your answer? on top of current events. So I'm gonna go with B again is the lie. Uh, and again, you were wrong. 50 Cent is a hilarious fucking troll. And I don't... He's gonna buy 200 tickets to Ja Rule. Cause fuck him. Uh, Wait, what's the, what's the fake one? The fake one is the Indian bus driver. He is suspended because he let a monkey drive his bus. <laughs> and the article keeps... Like, every time it says drive, it puts it in quotes. Like, like they don't believe a monkey knows the concept of driving a vehicle. Like fuck you! You don't know that. Yeah, you don't know that. Yeah. They could. Maybe they know. So, okay, your third set of stories. Okay. A white woman called the police on a black man in a whale costume. Probably was it happened. covering his skin? Ooh, that's a good. I'm not. Did gonna she tell know you. he was black? Because if she knew he was black, yes. <laughs> 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 okay. <laughs> Story two, a gold-digging dog pretends to be a stray to get hamburgers from McDonald's. That sounds, I think that's true. Mm. That's true. Story three, China plans to launch an artificial moon to replace street lights. A child? No, China. So that sounds true, too. So I'm going to say the first one's a lie. Well, we're one out of three. There you Thank go. Thank God. Thank God. Look at Finally catch a break. Okay, so this white woman did not call the police on a black man in a whale costume, though it probably happened somewhere. I just didn't see the headline for it. Uh, what she did was actually call the police on a real whale. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I, maybe it's like a humpback or something. I don't know. But like, apparently she was like calling them. She was like, they're getting really close to our boat. So just in case we go underwater, they'll know where we'll be. So I guess she was like, we're at the corner of water and a wave. Like, what the f- I don't fucking know. I don't fucking know. Uh, anyway, congrats to getting that one. And you get a skewer sticker. You did it. What's that? Eh, we'll get him. We'll get to him. Anyway, uh, yeah. So if anyone does go three for three, which has never really happened, I will give you a drink ticket. But it won't happen, so don't worry about it. Anyway, uh, let's welcome back to the stage host for the evening, Tom Harrison. Another round of applause for Kevin Johnson and our great game. As I always say, when you play a game, I want it to be like cruelly difficult and impossible. (laughs) Actively hostile to its players. Anyway. We got four great op-ed writers for you tonight. The first is a local comic from New Jersey. You can follow her on Twitter at CurlyHairNoCare if you want to stalk her shows. Please welcome to the stage Jillian Ebanks. the fact that Amy Winehouse's hologram is really about to start touring. What? And who approved that? Like her dad, her dad's trash. Did you guys, if you ever have time to watch the Amy documentary, you'll cry, but her dad is trash. Um, also, Tom, I'm really jealous. You said it took you 20 minutes to vote. It took me an hour and 15 Yesterday morning, uh, the polls were in the apartment building next to me, so I went in at 6 a.m. I was like, hell yeah. That entire apartment was in there at 6 a.m. And then I finally finished my ballot. I was so excited, and I gave it, well, I'm a backup. When I get to the woman finally, she's like, would you like to do the electronic voting? And I was like, hell yeah. And then she was like, well, there's only one person on the machine at a time, and they are, so here's the paper. And I was like... Okay, ma'am. And this same judge, she didn't initial my ballot properly, so when the ballot went to get in, it kept coming back as an error, so I had to redo the whole fucking ballot. I was thankful it was, like, the first one and not the judge one, because I would have just fucking... If it was the judge ballot, I'd just be like, forget it. Just forget I voted. Like, But anyways, um, I know election seasons are kind of rough, especially because it's around the holidays, and... Uh, for the white people in here, it seems like you guys have racist relatives, according to Facebook. I, I don't deal with that issue because I'm black. Um, it's one of the two benefits of being black. No racist relatives and, like, saying nigga. That's what we get to. Uh, so, shout out to us. Um, but I did come across an article, um, and it's called How to Get Through the Holidays When You're Not Speaking With Your Family. Uh, which is really exciting to me because me and my dad are actually both in a standoff of who's going to call who first. That was unintentional. I got mad at him and I was like, oh, he's going to call me tomorrow. And then he did it. And then I was like, well, I'm not calling you tomorrow. And he's like, well, I'm not calling you. And then I went home and just popped up and didn't even tell him. And he was like, oh, you came home and didn't tell me? I'm still not calling you. And it's weird because we're not not talking to each other. Like, if he called me right now, I'd answer, but I'm also not going to call him. Okay. Um, (laughs) 
But yeah, so I wanted to come up, I came up with this like list along with the article I read of like how to come up with tricks to deal with your racist family and like to avoid them because that seems to be a problem. And uh, although like I was saying, my family isn't racist, I have a, you know, I have two uncles that had kids out of wedlock. Um, I have another uncle that's addicted to crack. Uh, I have an uncle that's married to a second cousin. That is not a lie. Um, I also have two uncles married to white women. So we've, like, gotten through some shit. And I know you guys think I'm lying. My dad has six brothers. My mom has three. Like, legitimate, these are real people I know. Uh, So I may not repost this uh, when it becomes a podcast form because they're all my Facebook friends. Um, (laughs) But tip number one is limit your exposure um, so, you know, if you're in the house with your family, you can play, like, hide-and-seek or just hide. Um, and if you aren't familiar with hide-and-seek, it's a really great game. And if you're actually looking for tips on how to hide from your family, you should also talk to, like, immigrants that are currently hiding out from being deported. What? That seems like that's too political. Uh, for Thanksgiving. But, you know, you get my, you get what I'm saying. Um... So maybe hiding is too much because it might bring in immigrants, but you can also play games with your cousins. Um, if you have little cousins or nieces or nephews, one of my favorite games to play is tag. Very simple. Whenever I like to play tag, I look to references of the police and little black boys running around trying not to get shot. Oh, man. I love the holidays. Also, some board games are great. You can play Life. I actually really like the game Life. I used to have it on, uh, like, you could get it for PlayStation, which is really weird, but (laughs) I had it for PlayStation. Um, So you can play Life and just take a roll on the spin and say, like, what am I going to end up based on sexism, racism, and classism? Um, Because that's always fun. Or you can play Clue. Clue is one of my favorite games because it's like, what white person killed the other white person? And I'm like, whoo! I don't know who it was, but it wasn't me. My family loves Clue. Like, Clue is so lit. And as a kid, I was like, there's no Mrs. Black. There's no Mr. Brown. But now as an adult, I'm like, hell fucking yeah. This is a progressive ass fucking game. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's just... Anyways, I'm just saying. I think that we should all... I just want to give the makers of Clue a round of applause. Um... You can play Hangman because only Americans include hanging in everyday children games. Why is that? (sighs) Or you could play Uno because, I'm just kidding, we speak English in America, so please don't play Uno with your family. Um, Another tip, because life is too political and you should avoid your family at Thanksgiving. Help in the kitchen. Now, the feminist in me is like, fuck the kitchen for multiple reasons. One, I feel like if we're being honest, the food at Thanksgiving is kind of trash. And that is why we only have it at Thanksgiving. Like, there's a reason why we don't serve turkey any other time of the year. But whatever. Like, there's just things that are like, we've, like, you know, mac and cheese you'll have every time. Like, you'll have mac and cheese year round. Like, you know, ham, we put ham. Ham is all the time, but like turkey stuffing. Anyways, cranberry stuff. I do not like Thanksgiving foods, but I think that you can help in the kitchen and you can talk to your fellow aunties and grandmas about seasoning and how we pillaged two continents 
for seasonings that somehow people still refuse to put on their food. And it's insane to me how the conversation always goes back to slavery. Um, There's also another tip. Creative family choice. So, like, be like, this year, we're going to watch a movie. We're going to watch a TV show, which I think is great. You can turn on sports, right? You can watch football because America loves football. I don't know what team you guys root for. I, I'm embarrassed to say who I root for. Uh, I am from New Jersey, and I do not root for the team that has won two Super Bowls in the last <laughs> 10 years. I will leave it at that. <laughs> But, you know, you can watch football with your family. Everybody loves football. If your team's losing, you can talk about how you probably don't have a decent quarterback. And it's crazy you can't find one when Colin Kaepernick is unemployed. Um, If you don't like football, you can always watch basketball. Because who doesn't love basketball? I love basketball personally. Huge LeBron fan. I'm glad he's not shutting up and dribbling. Wow, this is not going how I I thought it would. Because I came up with a list of distractions. And yet it seems like everything leads back to racism. But you know what? I do have something for those of you that just want to give an escape. I hear Avengers... um, Infinity War is going to be out by Thanksgiving to watch, which I think is great. Uh, Am I about to spoil this for you guys? If you have not seen Avengers and you plan on it, please close your ears. But I I mean, no, I'm serious. Because, okay, I warned you. But I feel like you can talk to your family about the Avengers. um, And and that's a movie that everyone can watch. You can cry together as uh, a lucky dice. And you can get upset when all the Americans bring the war to Wakanda for no reason when they're reminding their business and suddenly all the black people in the movie are dead. What the fuck? I want to have an honest conversation about Avengers Infinity War and how nobody in Wakanda had anything to do with Thanos and yet... And I love Captain America. I mean... Like... Beard gang, all like Captain America done glowed up, okay? His beard. But why did we have to go to Wakanda? You could have flew Shuri out. I just. You could have flew Bucky out. Bucky was mine in his business. Anyways. Maybe not Avengers, but you get the point. Um. You could also watch a classic, Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. I think it's really interesting that the black character sat across from the table by himself. Or uh, you, you can just change the subject this holiday and talk about music. Uh, I'm, I'm still reeling from Beyonce's Coachella performance, if we're being honest. Thank you. I can tell by the claps that most of the people in here did not understand it or see it. And that means you should definitely talk about it and watch it. Or you could talk about how she endorsed Beta. I don't, you know, I don't know. We can talk about Ariana Grande because, okay. (laughs) I've become an Ariana Grande stan in the last three weeks. I'm not going to lie. It's been since she broke up with Pete. I was like, girl, now, now I can get behind you. Um, Because we all knew he was a rebound and it was okay. Like we... It was okay, but it was like, girl, you ain't finna marry this dude. Like, he ain't even the best cast member on SNL. What are... Ariana. But um, I think it's... I, I really want to say it. I'm not even trying to be funny. Like, rest in peace, Mac Miller. I think it's really unfortunate, like, the drug epidemic, especially amongst people our age, because I feel like we all 
know about drugs and it's very common and it's like people that we don't assume are addicted to like um very serious drugs um and that's something you can talk about how you know the drug epidemic looks one way to middle class white america not the way crack did to black people um or you could just skip the holidays all together (laughs) so this is my this is my number one suggestion Skip the holidays altogether and spend it tweeting and writing Facebook statuses to all your liberals' friends that agree with you. <laughs> because I can't speak about anyone else's Facebook feed, but my Facebook feed is amazing. Um, no, I say all this to say is that I hear a lot of people say that the holidays are too political and they don't want to go home and see their families. And, like, I, I make all these jokes... Again, I have two white aunts. I like white people, okay? Um, Carrie Underwood's new album is great, BTW. And I saw Stars Born. So, I did my part, okay? <laughs> I saw Stars Born before, okay, before I saw other movies that I should. That's besides the point. Um, but I'm gonna go see Nobody's Fool this week. I got my, Tyler Perry's getting my money. But, um, you know, I make all these jokes to basically let you guys know that it must, my whole life has been political. So I, I thought it was really interesting after 2016 when everyone was like, everything's so political. And it's like, I don't really know what that's like. I'm African American, I'm Latina. But all four of my grandparents are immigrants. My father's an immigrant from Honduras. And while he has unwavering faith in the Knicks and the Jets, for whatever godforsaken reason. And even though we're not speaking, and even though he says things like it's colder outside than a witch's cooch, um, and even though he blasts his country music at 7 a.m. on Saturdays while he's cleaning, and even though he made me watch like Interview with the Vampire at the age of four, like he just does ridiculous shit. He's a good person, and he came here, and he has a college degree, and... You know, he's not a rapist, he's not a murderer, he's a normal fucking person. Um, you know, so I just I just say all that to say, like, life is political, and so, like, fuck your family. But also, yeah, like, again, again, two of my uncles had kids out of wedlock, I didn't know about it, I almost went to prom with one of them, so, like, fuck it, okay? You know, like, shit happens, but what I've learned... What, <sighs> It was crazy when I found out. They were like, you guys can't go to prom together. We're like, what? We're friends. And they were like, uh. And I was like, oh, this is messy. Um, but I say all that to say that this holiday, maybe spend less time with like your racist aunt or your racist uncle and talk to like your nieces and cousins because those are the people whose minds we can still change. And like you can watch Coco with your little cousin or Black Panther, not in Avengers Infinity War because we don't want them to get any ideas. You know, we don't. You can watch Crazy Rich Asians and change their minds. Um, yeah, because like it's trust me, it sucks. And most day, and if you saw my Twitter filters, it's like Trump forty five orange vote. Like my Twitter filters are wild, but um, you know, holidays suck. But like, it could be worse. You could have nowhere to go for the holidays. Thank you. That's my time. <laughs> One more time for Jillian E. Banks.
Many of the people who are going to be at my holidays, many of my family members are here in this room right now. I don't think they're racist. And if you have any secret racist ideas, a shh. <laughs> don't tell me. <laughs> Our next op-ed writer is a producer of the Arts and Culture Club and a creator, lover, and appreciator of content in all of its forms. Please welcome Sadie Lancrete. Thank you. Thank you to the skewer. Happy birthday. I am still thinking about the witch's cooch. <laughs> oh, funny you should mention the weather. Uh, what I wrote about was everybody's favorite uh, crisis article from October. Um, I'm sure we've all spent a good two to three hours crying about the results of the recent UN study on climate change. That uh, gives humanity an estimate of 12 years to stop global warming before it reaches an irreversible tipping point and catastrophic results ravage our planet. It's fun. We can laugh. <laughs> Squeeze it out. So it's easy to interpret this as uh, we are all going to die as soon as 2030 hits, especially if you're, you know, a comedian who only reads headlines to gather subject matter for the hot takes you share to your 140 Twitter followers who will and already are making the same jokes. So, you know, maybe you'll even go as far as posting, well, um, because of this bad news I've received in the last hour, uh, I've decided to give up on my promising comedy career and all of my plans to have a family. As if you had uh, either of those things. <laughs> the truth is, it's bad. It is, it's bad. Uh, in the last century alone, global temperatures have increased by around 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Sea levels are rising. Storms are leveling up to superstorms. Sunstroke lemurs are dropping out of the trees like ripe pears. You know, it's hard to ignore these changes and the fear and hysteria that surrounds them. Things are bad, but they're not out of our hands. So, in fact, slowing climate change and saving the planet is directly in our hands. I'm going to give you some tips and tricks here. You know, it may seem daunting when you're looking at the big picture, but you've got to remember the big picture is made out of a bunch of little guys, and we're, we're little guys, right? Woo! We're small. We're guys. I didn't finish the rhyme. <clears throat> So by making environmentally friendly changes as an individual, you, yes, you, you puny ant, you can make a difference, a world of difference to our world. And I have some tips and tricks for you for reducing your carbon footprint. Number one, cut down on meat. You know, the meat industry is one of the greatest contributors to pollution. You know, if the entire U.S. population cut out meat for just one day a week, it would be the equivalent of taking 7.6 million cars off the road. And that's one day. But if you're like me, and you can't give up the euphoric feeling of just sinking your teeth into something that once had a heartbeat, uh, I have a next best tip. Um, so it's a, it's a green tip that stays red-blooded, okay? So cut out the meat, but... Eat a rich guy. <laughs> you can sub rich guy meat for pork in almost any recipe. They are the only source of protein that is self-marinating with a blend of fine wines and spices. It's like foie gras, but I don't feel bad. They are truly the only guilt-free meat because unlike animals, rich people do not have souls. <laughs> 
I, I have number three. You know, if your delicate stomach can't handle pompous roast ass, uh, another option is to get your meat free range. Just because the more space on this earth that is taken up by like just chickens <laughs> running around, that that's the less space for humans who, as we kind of have figured out, um, they suck. <laughs> Tip number four: bike. Bike instead of drive. It's an easy and effective way to reduce pollutants in our air. Plus, when you inevitably get hit by a car, because we are in Chicago and that's how it goes here, you really won't have to worry about your carbon footprint anymore because you'll be going green by pushing up daisies full time. And there's a good chance that if your death is gory enough, the driver who hit you will be too shaken to ever drive again. And that, my friend, is two birds with one stone. Number five, let's take this a step further. Never even learn how to drive. This is not me trying to spin the fact that I was too lazy to be bothered to learn in high school and subsequently unmotivated since then into something positive. You know, it just, it, it helps to not know how in case, you know, you get like tempted. Like baby driver was fun. I was like, woo, but I, I don't, won't let myself do that. All right, uh, and number six, recycle. We've all heard it. It's the oldest trick in the book, but it works when we all do it. My favorite example of recycling is um, you can just use your tweets for stand-up um, just by saying them out loud to people. <laughs> it's that easy. Number seven, put on a sweater. You know, if the world boils, we'll never even get to wear sweaters again. If you're enjoying sweaters while you can, that's going to give us more time to wear them in the future because sweaters today equals sweaters tomorrow. Don't crank up the heat just to show off your $24 McElroy podcast t-shirt. You're not only throwing money away by doing this, and I'm talking about the t-shirt when I say throwing away the money because you can't spend $24 on a fucking t-shirt. Um, you're also wasting energy. And sweater weather is upon us, so let's like honor it and show it the respect that it deserves. Okay. Number eight. All right, so you've... This is a little controversial because you have, you know, I've heard a lot of people posting like, oh, is it ethical to, to have a child and, and raise them into this world that I think is doomed and I don't believe anything is going to work out. But I, I see it. I see you. And I raise you. Have a baby genius. <laughs> have, as many, have as many whiz kid children as possible. Get out there, put those little super brains to work. You know, clearly most of us are too addled by stress and a childhood of diet sodas and anime to form an idea that doesn't have Waluigi in it. Um, but that doesn't have to be true of the next generation. You go, go and you find the nerdiest academic you can find and, and just, just take a ton of prenatal vitamins and, and then, you know, hopefully we'll have some little baby Einsteins running around in time for us to, you know, fix our shit. Okay, number nine. This one's really important to me. And as tempting as it may be, do not do performance art to raise awareness. <laughs> performance art is poison. If I catch any of you body painting yourselves to look like a globe and wailing and rolling around in trash in a public space, I will personally start fracking. <laughs> this close. Please don't do this. Number 10, yes, burn it all down. 
but not literally. <laughs> because burning man-made materials like plastic and society can release a harmful carbon and pollution into the atmosphere. So definitely dismantle everything so that we can start anew, but like use green-friendly tools like a wrecking ball or a battering ram instead. All right. <laughs> Number 11. Elections. Uh, be politically active. Yeah. Making our voices heard on a small scale is important and affects decisions all the way up to the top. Encourage our politicians to make environmentally conscious decisions by voting, by protesting, or by egging their houses. (laughs) Okay, thought. Um, You shouldn't use eggs because, you know, like the chicken industry and everything is not. Also, they have a big carbon footprint and we don't want to support that. So um, instead of egging... You can use rocks. Rocks. The Earth's eggs. All right, number 12. Lastly, and most importantly, don't lose hope. Because the world is only going to end if we let it. And I know I'm being earnest and it feels gross, but it's important. So I'll try being vulnerable here. I hope my therapist listens to this podcast later. I'm going to forward it to her so she knows I'm trying. Um, but we, we all do have to care fiercely about the environment and our future. So why roll over and play dead now? We'll have all the time in the world to literally be dead later. So don't give up and don't let hopelessness swallow you because we can do this. One last thing. Actually, I just remembered I, I have one written down on the bottom here. Um, this is a really important one. So to reduce your carbon footprint, Wear smaller carbon shoes. I'm sorry, okay? You know, I can't help it. I got, I got the brainworms from being online, okay? So just, like, pray for me. I don't know. Thank you guys so much. Oh. <laughs> One more round of applause for Sadie Lancrete. I just want to clarify that I personally do not tweet tepid takes to all of my 140 Twitter followers. I have 270 followers, and I have never said anything of any note. (laughs) Anyway, our next op-ed writer of the evening is a writer and performer who likes to also make movies. He just got a master's in screenwriting from the London Film School and is the proud producer of One Tree Will, a comedy weekly recap podcast of One Tree Hill. Please welcome Will Sondheim. I buried a time capsule Monday night before the midterms. At midnight, I crawled out in the little patch of grass that's between the sidewalk and the street and dug about an elbow's length down, dropped the capsule, and covered it back up with dirt and dead leaves, and handfuls of extra unusable I voted bracelets. It's a long story, but the bracelets had typos and now read I vetoed, which doesn't send the same unifying message, but was maybe closer to the truth. This wasn't my first time capsule. (laughs) I buried this time capsule because, among other things, I didn't want to forget about J.B. Pritzker's toilet tax evasion, put it in the capsule, and at the same time, I also just needed to clear up some space in my brain. See, as long as I know the information is safe and sound one and a half feet below the ground in an old duct tape shoebox, 
I can relax and let myself spend some time thinking about something else, anything else, without feeling guilty for not thinking about the thing I know I think I should be thinking about as a responsible citizen. So my yard is full of time capsules. After the first couple capsules, it seemed pretty natural to just plop that shit in the ground and move on with my life. I needed to vote. Life is short. Attention spans are... I still have dirt under my fingernails from the... Um, so my little patch of dirt and grass was dark, but the windows of the houses around me flickered with screens of red and blue maps, police sirens, and or bad 3D movies. I patted the last handful of earth firmly on top of the capsule and left it for the future to uncover. Uncover kind of like how the FBI wiretap uncovered JB's racist remarks to Blagojevich. That went into the capsule, too. <laughs> it felt important to vote with a pure heart. So I put all the dirt in the capsule and covered that dirt with some dirt and forgot about it. Until now. It's important to keep some kind of record. At times, the last two years have felt kind of like living on the surface of a giant Etch-A-Sketch. A colorless world that scribbled on every morning and erased every night. A smooth sliding magnet wiping the slate clean for another day's mess. It's a never-ending news feed, and all that scrolling isn't going to get you anywhere. So sometimes I like to take a couple screenshots, print that shit off, and bury it in a little patch of grass that's in between the sidewalk and the street for motherfucking posterity. Too often the future doesn't feel like the future, just a worse version of the present. Not being able to imagine the future being better than the present can also be called depression, but I bury that deep down somewhere else. And I keep it out of my sunny little patch of grass in between the sidewalk and the street. This time, I wanted to remember how things were back on November 5th, 2018. Maybe even as far back as October. Remember? Remember when someone from JB's own campaign sued him for racial discrimination? Don't worry, it's already in the time capsule. History has felt more present lately. Maybe because a week can feel like a hundred years, or that people keep trying to make history happen again, which really doesn't sound like such an all-cap-stitched-in-red great idea when you start looking at history. I mean, aren't we supposed to learn from it so we don't repeat all those mistakes? Dig up the time capsules, check my work. It's easy to remember what happened. Time capsules. Uh, <laughs> that wasn't like rolling with anything. That was just a microphone turning off. <laughs> uh, it's easy to remember what happened, but harder to remember how it felt when it happened. Or maybe we forget what happened entirely and just remember the feelings. Feelings are important. Crucial even. Especially now when we're voting based on feelings instead of facts. And if... White people, sorry, men, white, cishet men, old white, cishet men feel threatened. It's more valid than the actual threat against literally every single other demographic. I know I'm just preaching to the blue secular choir here, but feels good. And as we stated earlier, feelings are really, really important. <laughs> the, they're important and I'm forgetting what shock or disappointment feel like. Because if you're always yelling all the time and never stop yelling... You have to start calling yelling talking and come up with a new thing to call yelling. Or I guess you could just try to yell even louder. That's just one of the confusing examples I put in my time capsule. <laughs> I was reading that some scientists think emotional trauma can actually alter your DNA and be passed down between generations. 
which is horrifying and kind of comforting to know that we're not just wasting all this primo emotional trauma. (laughs) We're building something that can really last. It's all useful data. (laughs) And remember, it's always important to back up your data, even if some of that data points towards, say, our newest billionaire governor elects tax evasion and offshore accounts in the Cayman Islands. Sounds like I didn't give you enough warning. See, (laughs) I wanted a frozen record of this past October. My bubbling hopes and anxieties at the moment before the midterms, before the wave or fever or dream broke. Back in 2016, I didn't back up anything, and all that emotional data was pretty much wiped clean. For the most part. During the night of the 2016 presidential election, I remember lots of the future's female sweatshirts at a public watch party, an event that disintegrated into islands of isolated grief by the end of the night, etch-a-sketching itself into our collective DNA. But this morning, with an unprecedented number of women and queer folks winning their elections, uh, the future felt at least a little bit more female, a little bit more hopeful. So because it felt like the future had arrived, even in some small way, a swell, a shift of the tide, if not a tidal wave, I went out to my patch, so small and bare in the light of day, and dug up my time capsule this morning. I dug it right up. So here I am standing before you with a message from another one of those distant, unremembered times. Let's call it October. My phone is the first thing I take out of the capsule, carefully wrapped in a printout from the website 538. The phrase systematic polling error is underlined in red sharpie. I've been checking this website constantly to see what the polls had to say, and my phone is down to 4%. Luckily, I buried my phone charger, too, so everything was under control. Sorry if I didn't respond to your election night text. As I just mentioned, I buried my phone in the little patch of grass between the sidewalk and the street. They say that when a big wave is coming, a tsunami, they say the waters retreat from the land, that there's a long period of time when there's no wave. There's not even very much water. I learned that from Googling, and there it is. A printed-out copy of my Google search results about waves. The blue wave. The red, the red wave. And then the biggest wave ever caught on camera. And then the biggest waves ever surfed. And then surfing compilation videos. All edited to heavy metal music with gra- garish Comic Sans title cards. I can't imagine JB, our big billion-dollar baby, surfing. I have a hard time imagining him swimming. But I can imagine him starting the wave... Shirt off, big belly painted blue, heaving himself out of his gilded box seats and throwing both of his hands enthusiastically into the air, fists opening and making it rain $171 million. (laughs) Now that JB is governor, I thought I would roast him. Complain about all the corruption. Describe or illustrate my lack of enthusiasm with the choice I had to make between two rich white men that I don't necessarily trust or like. I had a roast written out on wrinkled notebook paper, scrawled on the 22 Clark bus in a furious hurry. I had a hard time writing or telling those jokes the day after the dust had settled, brushing off the dirt and seeing the voting, those numbers, the millions that still choose hate and fear over something, anything else, those red Texas districts like an inflammation, and I think, I grew up in a town like that. The fraction of blue to red still in balance, the divides deeper, the future still being scribbled and scrawled by a president who has never finished a fucking book, and it just made me so sad all over again. I shake the box, and three live moths flutter out. 
I don't remember putting them in there, but maybe they represent hope. Yeah, let's hope it's hope. They chewed holes in the polls from Georgia and wrecked havoc on my handsome photo of the Texas Democrat. But they're alive and fighting and happy to be free. Happy but also furious now and flapping and flying like everything depends on it because for them it always has and always will. They're flying in confused circles trying to get their bearings. They pause for breath, if moths breathe, and then they flutter off into the darkness searching for some light. Maybe they're onto something. Thanks. One more time for Will Sondheim. This is, oh, hey, it's alive again. Good, because we're going to need both for the debate, which is coming soon. But first, before we get there, our final op-ed reader of the night is a professor turned storyteller, performing artist, and producer of three storytelling shows, which are Pour One Out, Am I Man Enough, and Talk Stories. Her motto, make your life the best story you can tell. Please welcome Ada Chang. How's everybody? Good, good, good. Um, I couldn't laugh and didn't laugh during the month of October. Um, So this won't be a funny piece. There's nothing funny about the brutal death of a journalist. I grew up in Taiwan, coming of age in the 70s and 80s, when the island was still under the authoritarian regime. And I'm in my 50s, just in case you are calculating your head. (laughs) What does that mean? I once criticized the government in my homework assignment in my middle school at the age of 13. Not only did my teacher fail me for the assignment, but I was also talked to by the military personnel stationed at school. In both high school and college, we were encouraged to join the ruling KMT party just to demonstrate our loyalty to the party and lust to the party leader, a central figure glorified by the state-sanctioned media apparatus. The military personnel at different levels of school were not there for behavioral issues. They were there to spot young people with critical thinking and revolutionary tendency so they could catch political troublemakers early. When I was in college during early 1980s, I was the vice president of a student club called China Study. One day, the president, a very good friend of mine, disappeared suddenly and only resurfaced later to tell me that someone had called him at home to warn him, supplying him with details of all our conversations in our private committee meetings. One of our committee members, someone we deemed as a friend, was spying on us. My close friend didn't even trust me when I told him it wasn't me. And then I realized I myself was followed on campus since I had been seeing unfamiliar faces that just didn't fit in with the rest of the student population. And then there I was in my first job right out of college in 1986 as an editor at a military magazine. And one day a group of plainclothes military personnel simply stormed into our office, ransacked it, and confiscated manuscripts and documents. 
Several of our authors who wrote for us secretly due to their military status got into serious trouble as a result. All this took place because the government deemed what we published as confidential and classified. Growing up under that environment, I was warned very early on to be careful not just about our actions, but also about my words and thoughts. I learned not to trust just anyone with my political opinions because Big Brother was watching and was policing what was in our head. Our phones could be tapped, conversations listened in, and comments reported. And they were. There would be severe consequences, such as arrest, imprisonment, and even death. If you were deemed as the enemy of the party or that of the people, you wouldn't even know who might have betrayed you. And you are particularly susceptible to being labeled as such if you are considered what I call truth seekers, including intellectuals, academics, and journalists, except Fox News. <laughs> For authoritarian regimes, critical thinkers, those equipped with capacity for thinking and words for critiques pose indomitable threats to their authority and power. They will silence you first and foremost. I also learned this early on. Government officials don't need to do the killing themselves, even though they play a part in it. And they are hardly held accountable for the murder of dissidents, opponents, and critics. So they shouldn't surprise you that the violence against truth seekers hit me hard, such as the brutal killing of Jamal Khashoggi, a self-exiled Saudi critic, a U.S. resident, and a contributor for Washington Post. He went to Saudi consulate in Istanbul for paperwork for his impending marriage, a 15-member team traveling from Saudi Arabia just the day before adopted him right on that government premise and dismembered him in one of the consulate offices while he was still conscious. It took him seven minutes to die while being cut alive by a bone saw. His body, now pieces, was never found. His crime? He was highly critical of the current leader in Saudi Arabia, the, the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman. It is reported that the U.S. government may have known their intent to do so prior to his murder. While the response or the lack of a strong response from our administration disgusted me, it didn't surprise me. After all, our president himself has been inciting violence with his hateful rhetoric since his campaign in 2016. He doesn't need to commit the violence or do the killing himself. His silence on violence or killing enables it. His incitement can do the work just fine. What else took place in this country during the month of October? Explosive devices were sent to politicians and the media by a Trump supporter. A Kentucky gunman, after killing two African-American seniors at a store, yelled, whites don't shoot whites, 
to a passerby. A white gunman stormed into Tree of Life, a Jewish synagogue in Pittsburgh, and gunned on 11 worshippers while yelling, all Jews must die. He left behind a trail of anti-Semitic social media posts. These were not isolated hate crimes based on racism and anti-Semitism. These were all enabled by this president's violent rhetoric, which abetted, incited, and helped justify the violent actions of neo-Nazi white supremacists. Now, you might be wondering how this is related to authoritarian regimes. My past experiences with authoritarian regimes have made me sensitive to the signs. The slow changing of our political landscapes, where our highest government officials has publicly dismissed the need to obey laws, where the thirst for personal power and loyalty subsumes institutional rules and functions, where lies, the telling of them and acceptance of them, are enabled, normalized, and accepted by other players in institutional contexts, where war waged against science, facts, and truth is waged, and silencing the voice of truth seekers is necessary. When this president declared the press as the enemy of the people, it brought back my memories of living under an authoritarian regime. He has publicly abetted and condoned the violence against journalists or truth seekers in general. During this past year, we have seen an increase of antagonism, hatred, and threats toward the press. He doesn't have to do the killing, commit violence, or wield threats himself. He can depend on the followers using abetting and citing. The murder of Koshaji signals something alarming for me. In addition to labeling the press as liars and traitors, this president has demonstrated a willingness to be openly complicit in a brutal murder to silence a journalist with another repressive regime at the local global level. Not that this hasn't happened before, it has. It is just that there's not even any pretense for outrage because of the billions of dollars of military investment from Saudi Arabia. Let's pay attention to what happened in Brazil last week. Just days before Brazil elected Bolsonaro, someone said to be far more dangerous than our current president. Police raided universities over the country to seize pro-democracy and anti-fascism materials. How long do you think it would take this country to go down that road, given that academic freedom and faculty members' rights to publicly critique politicians are already eroded by threats of violence from far right, as well as institutional penalties imposed by higher education administrators. This president has all the characteristics mirroring a dictatorship in place, and this administration has all the characters of an authoritarian regime in the making. We're all on a train heading for a crash if we don't reverse this historical trajectory. Sure, the election results last night gave me some hope. Now I'm waiting for the backlash, anxiously waiting. Thank you.
One more time for Ada Cheng. Thank you so much for that. A few things before we get to our skewer debate. One, uh, I want to thank Cafe Mustache for being our gracious hosts for three years. Uh, you should buy things from them and give them money. Uh, they also have other shows that are good. Go to them and give them money then, too. Also, um, Erica, we have uh, merch and such, right? Absolutely. Hey, what do we have? We have stickers. We have, do we, have all, we have books. The best of the skewer 2016 and 17. What's our price for those, Erica? Did we lower it? <laughs> I thought... I, just come talk to Erica. Let's make a deal. Um, and oh, we got pins. What, what? I can't. I think. What are you holding up? Oh, okay, cool. Excellent. Um, <laughs> all right. All that out of the way. Uh, before we do the debate, let's have another round of our fake news quiz. Someone else can come up and get a fun sticker by knowing the quiz. time for mandatory fun again <laughs> we, we're doing it all right there we go anyway so yeah i need another uh, volunteer or you will be voluntold i guess <gasps> somebody's pointing at you wait you've gone before but this person has not would you be okay with that would you be okay with that <laughs> carrie Carrie, Carrie, Carrie. And then you come on stage and then like pig's blood just drops. Yeah, that was relevant for, I get it. for like 30, 40 it's years ago now. Yeah. yeah, I've never seen the movie. Yeah. But apparently it's like a metaphor for having your period. It's really weird. I don't know. That's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. Whatever. Fine, I'm moving. God damn it, Tom. Jesus, he's, he stands up here for like 50 fucking minutes. It's like, anyway, you, you, this, you know the game. You know the game. Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> anyway, for your first set, uh, uh, story one. Bill Gates shows off a, a jar of human feces as he unveils a $200 million toilet. That's fucking weird. Story two. <laughs> you just don't like that. Story two. <clears throat> Florida gas station owner warns people not to microwave urine in his store. <clears throat> Florida. Everyone's like, that's Florida. It's probably true. It's tr yeah, you're learning. Florida's terrible. That's right. Oh, I forgot about my... Okay, anyway. Story three. Mocking the Steele dossier scandal, Ben and Jerry's launches a new anti-Trump ice cream flavor called Pecan Resistant. I mean, Pecan Resist. Is that true? Are any of them true? Wait, I'm picking the false one, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I thought I watched this game. I want the, I want the first one with the poop to be wrong. Can, can I but, drink? But is it? Yes. No, it is not. No. No, Bill Gates totally had just like a jar of shit. No. 
he just, he just put like two hundred million dollars into like a competition, and there's like make a toilet that doesn't use water, and it's it like turns it into like fertilizer. Florida, <laughs> Florida obviously happened. Florida, yeah, yeah, yeah. So technically, there is a, 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 an ice cream called Pecan Resist, okay. but uh, it's not about the steel dossier, and it's not like a pee joke. It's just we can resist, which is not as I know. Yeah, now, now you're getting. I'm catching on. Yeah. Also, in related news, South African students invented a brick made out of human urine, which is weird. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how the fuck they did it. Okay. Also, there was there was also another piece of fun news that I left out from the ghost one. There's a woman who says she's had sex with 20 ghosts and is now engaged to a spirit. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, I, I didn't ask your name. Who are you? I'm Carrie. Who Who are you, though? I'm Tom's cousin. Yay! <laughs> Yay! So yeah. I'm one Ma- day older. <gasps> <laughs> Damn. I guess that means something. Yeah, it means something. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right. Your second set of stories. Man who writes Bigfoot erotica is now a U.S. congressman. Not to kink shame. Just saying. Um, Story two. A school is investigating after students passed out cookies containing their grandparents' ashes. That's so sad. It's sad, but is it true? Story three. A vending machine lets you swap unwanted Halloween candy for a handful of mashed potatoes. Happy Thanksgiving. Wow. Yeah. What a world. Um, I'm going to go with the potatoes because I don't know the logistics. You know? That's, you're like, I can't, I can't, I don't know the schematics, yeah. so this one's wrong. Yeah, that, that doesn't actually exist. Um, you're, you are correct in guessing that it is wrong. So it's, it's actually like a vending machine set up by Reese's, and you put in like shitty candy, and it'll just give you Reese's. I know. I know it's good. Sometimes I put stories in here just to let you know things exist. Um, So the Bigfoot erotica is called Mating Habits of Bigfoot and Why Women Want Him. Just in case that's your thing. Yeah, you forgot. We only went through three fucking questions and you forgot. Trump is crazy, I know. All right, your last set. You can go for two for three. Which is still good. Okay. Number one, researchers make a robotic finger that attaches to your phone and strokes your hand. (laughs) There's like, no, and hell yeah. Diversity in the audience. Okay. Story two, Panasonic has created human feedbacks, allowing Japanese office employees to work work longer hours while maintaining a healthy diet. Of oats and whey, presumably. Um, story three, the Catholic Church launches its own version of Pokemon Go where children catch saints. <laughs> um. Which one of those is false? The world sucks regardless, but which one of these is false? Um, uh, Catholic saints. I don't know that... They don't have the technology. 
have the technology. <laughs> so, uh, uh, even though they should clearly steer away from children, they have made this person. They have made this app. You can go catch saints. Um, the finger also exists. Parisian researchers made it. Um, uh, why? That is a good question. Why do we make anything? Uh, but yes, yeah, story two is the false one. So uh, open office designs just suck, and you hear yeah. people all the time. You yeah. see them all the time. And so Panasonic is what they've done is made like horse blinders for humans. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you came on stage, so you get a nice skewer Thank sticker. You. Thank you. You did it. Um, yeah. So two things before Tom gets back on the stage. So uh, it's the third year anniversary, and Ben was kind enough to make us these damn cupcakes. So give him... It was you, Ben, right? You did it, right? What you all, like, bashful and shit for? <laughs> Motherfucker went... All right, cool. Also, uh, all the money that goes from the door comes to everybody that performs. So give money. Because you like art. You like supporting art. Anyway, Tom, come back to the stage. Yay. Yay. Kevin, thank you for remembering the money thing. <laughs> the legit most important thing. Thank you to Kevin and also to Carrie for being on the stage. <laughs> All right. So the last event, the, ca- the capstone event in any skewer show is, of course, the skewer debate, where we take on an issue that one person alone can't, can't capture the whole scope. You have to hear both sides. Neither side is fascist. Uh, and you pick the winner. So first, I will uh, bring to the stage our debaters. Our first debater can be seen reading around Chicago at shows like Outspoken, You're Being Ridiculous, Story Jam, and this one. And next to you at your favorite bar, skipping all your songs on the jukebox. She is a weakness for reality competition shows and cries an average of four times during every episode of American Ninja Warrior. Please, please welcome Lindsay Ennett. everybody. Our second debate performer is a writer and random desk job haver. To lay it all out on the table, he is gay, Mexican, and tired of everything going on. <laughs> he is both player and game master on Tabletop Potluck, an excellent actual play podcast that focuses on playing and reviewing different RPG systems. Please welcome Matthew Marquez. So, how does the debate work? Well, I'll tell you. Our debaters have been given a topic in advance. They have prepared five minutes of opening statements to convince you that their side is correct. I will then come back on stage and ask them questions. They have not been supplied the questions in advance. The questions are very stupid. Uh, (laughs) Afterwards, they will be given one minute to make their closing remarks, at which point you will vote on uh, who you believe won. What is the debate topic? Great question, I'll tell you. As we said earlier, voting is only the bare minimum. It's the first step in political engagement. We have to go further. What is the next step 
to reform the political situation in America. Marquez, what will you be arguing for? Giant backs for Antifa. <laughs> Lindsay, what will you be arguing for? We should kidnap all elected Democrats and make them fight in an underground martial arts tournament so they learn to be vicious and scrappy. <laughs> Who wishes to read their opening statements first? In Iowa City, Iowa, there is a greasy spoon diner called the Hamburg Inn Number 2. It is known for blending an entire slice of pie into a milkshake, which sounds equally disgusting and delicious. It, it is also home to the Coffee Bean Caucus, an iconic poll in celebration of the better-known Iowa Caucus, wherein diners can drop coffee beans into jars representing the political candidate of their choice, and leaders stop to pose for cheesy regular guy cosplay photos and ingest breakfast meats slick with grease. I fucking love democracy. I am your annoying friend who texts you the day early voting starts. You're fucking welcome. <laughs> But the Coffee Bean Caucus is a cutesy reminder of everything that is wrong with our current system. All too often, people, especially those in power, still treat electoral politics largely as a game, a giddy celebration of who got the most coffee beans in their jar as chosen by a select few hungover diners. <laughs> Pundits still frame key votes in terms of winners and losers, the red team versus the blue team, as if control of the Supreme Court for generations could be decided by one fierce game of laser tag. <laughs> this game creates distance between politics and the people it impacts and extracts all empathy from that distance. The game is how people laughed at our fear after the 2016 election and called us sore losers. The game is how we get a cadre of ghoulish old white men grinning on the White House lawn, singing na-na-na, hey-hey, goodbye, and cracking open cold ones with the boys to celebrate voting to take away affordable health care from tens of millions of Americans. Nothing inspires a tailgate party like screwing over the poors. For the past few months, we have been inundated with the mantra, vote blue no matter who. Many of us followed that advice yesterday, but how do we ensure that when we vote, we are not getting the political equivalent of a tired mall security guard respond thinking he can stop an in-progress robbery eclairs by just muttering, hey, stop, don't steal those, stop. <laughs> or worse, another Joe Manchin. That is why we must kidnap all elected Democrats and make them fight in an underground martial arts tournament so they learn to become vicious and scrappy. Make them prove they will fight for their constituents by literally fighting for their constituents. It has taken far too long for congressional Democrats to learn what they should have learned the first time we heard the name Merrick Garland, or during the initial debate over the ACA, or much sooner. Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, and the rest of their wretched, slobbering ilk have never once negotiated in good faith and will do whatever they can to hurt, hurt large swaths of this populace. It is not enough anymore to put out a press release and a blue wave emoji, and it certainly isn't enough for Chuck Schumer to be all like, well, we were going to do a shutdown, but then Mitch McConnell pinky promised we could vote on the DREAM Act. <laughs> well, 
After this underground martial arts tournament, there will be no more pinky promises. Before the new Congress is inaugurated, all elected Democrats will assemble in a secret dojo underneath the old RFK stadium. And by candlelight, the greatest masters this side of Ipmon will teach them everything they need to know about how to scrap when lives are on the line. I want to see Schumer in a sleeper hold till he screams, I withhold consent on the Senate floor until there is a vote. I want to see... See Kristen Gillibrand go full Sonia Blade. I want to see Nancy Pelosi breaking boards until her knuckles are red and raw. I see Maxine Waters on the sidelines demanding through gritted teeth that they get up over and over again, exhausted and bloody, until they are ready to put everything on the line and defend our most vulnerable. And when that fist comes flying at their face for the first time, I want them to be terrified. I want them to feel the shuddering fear of asylum-seeking parents choosing between deportation and losing their children. I want them to feel the sting that my trans friends felt the week the Department of Health and Human Services announced plans to write them out of legal existence. I would add something here about how pain makes us remember our humanity, but I don't want to sound like a high school sophomore who has just read a Chuck Palahniuk novel for the first time. (laughs) And when the fresh-faced, idealistic congressman from Minnesota lies on the ground, head throbbing, he will see the faces of his constituents flash before him in a haze, a reminder that there is real, painful, human toll to inaction to failures of policy that to get up and fight in 2018 and beyond will require more than a resist hashtag. When they go low, we will respond with a jaw-dislocating uppercut. That was good. (laughs) I'm going to try to do this then. So... The country still a certified grade A shithole. Sure, we took back the House, and Congress is more diverse than ever, which is not saying a lot. (laughs) But, like, if you look at the polls, a lot of the country is still full of racist fucks. Like, this was a hard-fought election, so they're not going away. So instead of dwelling on that depressing thought, let's delve into the skewer-honored tradition of using extreme fantastical humor in order to anesthetize us from the very real, very scary reality we find ourselves in. I mean, no matter how the election turned out, we knew there was going to be a lot more we can do to fix things. So what's the plan then? What are we going to do to tip things back and take our country back. Two words, giant robots. (laughs) Let's be honest with ourselves. Half of us have liberal arts degrees, which we cannot put to good use because our society puts the bottom line above anything else. And the other half of us have STEM degrees, which we cannot put to good use for the exact same reason. So my argument is that we combine our STEM and liberal arts degrees and build giant, aesthetically pleasing, well-named Antifa-piloted robots and take direct action to the next level. Now, I've never seen Gundam or Neon Genesis Evangelion, 
because I'm not a huge weeb like some of you. But I have seen the Americanized Power Rangers, Pacific Rim, and that one scene from Spy Kids 3D Game Over. So I think I know a thing or two about both mechas and the power of friendship and familia. My proposal is that we replace friendship and familia with the absolute abolishment of the old guard that currently have a stranglehold on our lives and welfare. You know, we'll just have giant, massive, fucking huge robots that we can ride around in and destroy all the things that are clearly evil. So in Power Rangers, if you go back and watch it, uh, you know, especially the later seasons, I will fight anyone who thinks that Mighty Morphin is better. Evil is less of a concept and more of just like the side of a conflict. Villains don't do evil things. They're just evil. It's in order to make the conflict in the show less gray. And despite what, you know, people might say on Twitter, the people and organizations in power are just fucking evil. So I think it's fair of us to lead them to the abandoned warehouse district, which is totally not populated by anyone, and destroy them with a giant laser sword. So what's the first step to building giant mechs? Why now... If it isn't our old friend seizing the means of production. Hey, we were going to do that one anyway, weren't we? That's two birds with one stone, folks. A fucking revolutionary bogo. And how will we power these mechs? Wasn't there a report recently released that claimed that climate change is inevitable and fuck it, everyone age 70 is going to be dead by the time it happens, so fuck you, the youth specifically? Well, that's the beauty of it. A, most of the world's greenhouse gases are produced by large companies, so our giant mecha army couldn't dream of spewing out those level of greenhouse gases. And since we're already on the way to take down everything evil, we might as well stop by with our giant fucking robots and put a permanent end to those giant corporations. (laughs) And you scientists out there, most of whom are on our side, I might add, Say we're ready to roll on green energy like whenever. They just constantly keep saying that. So let's make these motherfucking robots green as fuck. Giant mechs with fucking solar panels, wind turbines, electric, fuck it, whatever you want. They're giant robots. You don't need to question it. So we're going to march on over, smush any institution that are filled with fascist fucks. And then, you know, they may have planned for many eventualities. But I doubt they're looking for us throwing a giant mechanical left hook at their alt-right. Some people say violence isn't the answer, but as history has shown us, punching Nazis works. So, you know, we're just going to do that. Now, some of you might be worried, a giant robot army going around and tackling our institutions. Aren't we worried that with this massive amount of power that these mechs will, you know, that someone will use them wrongly, that's just a science fiction trope. To say that, I mean, uh, to question that, I say, I hope not. I hope we won't use them wrongly. That's why I propose that as soon as we are satisfied with effectively sending these institutions back into the void, we as a collective must also sadly get rid of our giant robots. (laughs) We've seen proliferation before, and we do not want to do that again, trust me. (laughs) 
It's really, honestly, the simple choice to be good instead of evil, which I think is really easy choice to make. <laughs> you know, the simple truth is, many tales in science fiction in which, you know, power goes wrong is written and starring straight cis white men. So, like, sorry, Tom, you <laughs> specifically won't get a giant robot. <laughs> But anyone who's not Tom can get a giant robot. Thank you. First of all, how dare you? (laughs) All right, excellent opening statements from both of you. Very well put points, I gotta say. But anyone can have a good point when you prepare... I'm going to put you on the spot with some crazy questions. Lindsay, the first one's going to go to you. If we are going to kidnap these Democratic representatives and make them fight in a tournament, that means they're going to be off Capitol Hill for like a long time as they go through their fights. How do we make sure that the Republicans don't take advantage of their actions, or rather their absence, and pass just a crazy amount of evil legislation? That's a very good question, Tom. Well, we do it during recess or during a holiday, since, as we learned earlier tonight, nobody really likes being around their families for the holidays anyway. And if 80s movies have taught me anything, training montages take like five minutes, so this actually won't take that much time. Like one Gary Newman song and we're good. So I, I think we'll be able to do it efficiently enough before uh, Mitch McConnell even knows that anything is up. Excellent answer. Well put. Marquez, I have a question for you. Yeah. Of course we all know that Antifa already has a project in progress, the Super Soldier Serum Project. <laughs> What do you say to those skeptics who might claim that this mecha initiative of yours is going to make the Antifa super soldiers obsolete? We put the super soldiers in the giant mechas, Tom. That synergy. How is their super strength going to make them pilot the robot better? They can pilot it for longer. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got owned. <laughs> Lindsay anyone can learn how to fight dirty when your life depends on it how can we ensure that the Democrats remember the lessons they learn when they return to their comfortable lives in D.C. see that movie Taken? (laughs) Marquez, I got a question. Some critics claim that mechas are less a realistic weapon of war and more some kind of harsh metaphor. (laughs) How do you respond? There are no more metaphors in 2018. 
I got one more question for both of you. Lindsay, here's your final question. Obviously, during the tournament, there's going to be some feuds that flare up, some rivalries between combatants. But being Democrats, they will instinctually attempt to be bipartisan, which will end up with tepid fights and bland drama. Ugh. How will you ensure that this tournament is action-packed? There's nothing in this world that lighting things on fire can't solve. <laughs> also, a blaring, consistent techno soundtrack. Just a lot of da 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 Really, really, really angry up the blood there. Also, when all else fails, sharks. Just, just pull out, pull out all of the 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 comic book Bond villain tropes. That's possible. There's a lot of room under that abandoned stadium. <laughs> get the get the rabid uh, pack of raccoons that lives in the rafters on, above RFK Stadium involved. Thank you. <laughs> and Marquez, your final question: Will the Antifa Mecca pilots be in the head, the torso, somewhere else, and why? <laughs> the dick. Self-explanatory. Fair enough. You went second in the opening statement, so you will go first in the closing statements. Marquez, give us your closing statements. I'm going to be real with my opponent here and say that there are enough of us that we can divert our resources in order to both build these giant robots and train our Democratic representatives to be the ground forces for the giant robots. So if we have to choose, I want the robots, but if we don't have to choose, we can do both. Because I absolutely would love to see a completely ripped Dick Durbin tear a Republican's throat out with his teeth. But in all honesty, just like electing J.B. Pritzker is a stepping stone to actually having a good governor. Our highly trained, currently elected Democrats are merely the stepping stone to our true goal, which are the giant meccas. The Democrats haven't really done much, so I really don't want them to get ripped, because I, uh, we could just get rid of them and you know, elect already ripped Democrats. <laughs> and we could always use eco-friendly meccas. Thank you. It seems this debate, as it often is, is a fundamental discourse over tactics. The, classist, the classic argument of reformist versus revolutionary. <laughs> and when the enemy is as looming and terrifying and 50,000 fucking people on the southwest side voted for an actual fucking Nazi... I was actually going to argue the same thing as my colleague here, which is like that little girl in the tortilla commercial. <laughs> Why not both? There is room for direct, for intense revolutionary direct action 
and there is room to try to make things less shitty in the immediate uh, by making our elected officials do fight club. (laughs) And whatever the case may be, I hope all of you people of Logan Square are ready to fucking fight. That's all. An excellent showing and rip-roaring debate from both of our debaters. Another round of applause for them. All right. Although they both, in their closing statements, fundamentally disagreed with what I just am about to say, (laughs) there can only be one winner. (laughs) Because I only have one skewer to give us a trophy. No. I will break that in half. (laughs) If you, if you get it, it's yours to your property to do with what you will. Uh, Kit, would you like to be the impartial judge who determines crowd volume? Excellent. All right. So, if you believe that the winner of this debate arguing for making Democrats do Fight Club was Lindsay Ennett, please applaud now. If you believe that the winner of this debate arguing for Antifa Meccas was Matthew Marquez, please applaud now. (laughs) Impartial judge, who is the victor? Matthew Marquez, you are the victor in this debate. Break it in half, share the wealth. It's, oh, it's very dangerous now. Oh, oh, you're going to get splinters. Be careful. It's a tie. It went, everyone's happy. Yeah, unlike Fight Club, we like it when people are all happy and don't get mad. <laughs> Anyway, thank you both for your great debating, uh, Lindsay Ennett and Matthew Marquez. Another round of applause. And folks, that is all for us. We are back next uh, December what fifth? December fifth, the first Wednesday of the month in December, right here again for more. For more of this shit, it's going to be good. Uh, Thank you for coming to our third fucking anniversary show. Uh, If you did not donate to our writers and you want to, uh, you can. And if you're like, I don't have any money, that's fine too. It's free. Uh, We've been recording this for podcast versions so you can listen to uh, uh, old episodes or not go in the future but still hear it if you want to be lazy. Anyway, that's been me. Thank you for coming. Uh, We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you like what you heard, you can always come to a live show the first Wednesday of every month at Cafe Mustache in Chicago, or subscribe to the podcast and review it and tell people about it. I don't know, the things you do with podcasts, you've heard them before. Um, you can also get in contact with us at skewerchicago at gmail.com uh, if you have questions or if you want to be on the show or something. Uh, anyway, thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>